for the Holy Spirit to come and join you. Um, let's sing that song. Um, I 
give myself away, same king. Can you 
can have your seats just momentarily. We'll go ahead and switch it up just a little bit. I'll bring the, our needs to the Lord here. I just want to ask Brother Steve if he would come up and just lead us in prayer here in a moment. If you would just play something softly for us. We just want to remember the drums. They are not here with us this evening. We also would like to remember the Jacksons. Um, I also have here to remember the Whitlocks, especially Hannah and uh, her need that she has. We just want to remember Sister Anna Pritchard as well. She has been in the hospital, but she is now home from the hospital. And uh, we just want to remember Brother Jaron. He's not here because he had to be on call this evening. And uh, we also have a request here from Brother Jaron to remember his uh, dad, uh, Brother Keith Brown, and also his grandmother, Sister Brown, as well. We just want to remember Brother David Cockman and his family as well. And Sister Connie has a request here for her son, Eric, who is in the hospital right now. And uh, just want to ask you to remember uh, my dad, Brother Keith. He is away driving, working this week, and uh, will not be back until next week, I believe. So just uh, keep him in your prayers. We also want to remember the Cross family. And uh, we just want to keep Brother Tom in prayer as he's continuing his recovery. And we also would like to remember uh, the males as well. They're not with us. We have a lot of people missing this evening and a lot of unspoken requests. So uh, just keep those in mind and in your hearts as you bring your own needs to the Lord. So if you would just stand with me again. Brother Steve, if you would come. power heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this evening. Lord, we first we say that we love you. Lord, we are so very thankful for all that you do for us and all that you have done. And Lord, these needs that we've brought before you as the body of Jesus Christ, we lay them before your throne together. We bind our faith together and we ask on behalf of those who need healing, Lord, we pray that you would give them that healing touch that only you can. And Lord, if there be any need, unspoken request, or any financial need, any other kind of trouble, Lord, we pray that you would move in their lives, that you'd be with them, that you'd help them, Lord, and that you'd comfort them. Lord, many are the afflictions of the righteous. We all have issues and trials, concerns. We all have decisions to make. But Lord, we genuinely believe and we choose to believe that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we trust you. We place our faith in you and in your word. And we truly believe that every promise in the book is ours. And so this evening we lay hold on, on those promises on behalf of our brothers and sisters. Lord, we pray that you'd be with us this evening. That you give us a special, a special touch from your presence, and just being in the sweetness of your presence. May it encourage us, may it lift us up, may it give us the strength to continue on throughout the week. We love you so much, Lord. We pray that you'd be with the minister tonight. We pray that you'd have the preeminence in this room. And wherever those who are, are who are listening, Lord, we pray that you'd be with them as well. We give this time into your hands, and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
let's sing that song and put it in F as you have your seats. Oh, have your way. Sinner had refused to heed the call. 
nights of pleading prayer. All our burdens and our anguish will be lifted at that meeting in the air. Now there is going to be a meeting in the air in that sweet, sweet by and by. And I am going to meet you, meet you over there in that home beyond the sky. Such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal ear. Twill be glorious, I do declare. And God's own Son will be the leading one at that meeting in the air. Here the doubters will be missing altogether. All the skeptics will be absent on that day. And there will be no grumblers present to disturb us. And the Aikens will be busy far away. The saints will have his seal upon their foreheads, dressed in raiment none but ransom ones can wear. All who have the wedding garments will be present at that meeting in the end. Now there is going to be a meeting in the air, in that sweet, sweet by and I am going to meet you, meet you over there in that home beyond the sky. Such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal ear. Twill be glorious, I do declare. And God's own Son will be the leading one at that meeting. be there. I'll go ahead and have you stand to your feet and I'll go ahead and ask Brother Barry if he would come at this time. And as he comes, let's sing the song, Because He Lives. Because He Lives I can face Oh uh-huh. 
certainly good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Good to have all of you here. Good to have the Holloways here tonight. Wish I knew you were coming. Good to have you with us here. Let's, uh, we're going to sing one more little chorus, Have Your Way, and then we're going to uh, go to the Lord in prayer this evening here. We want to remember a couple of needs that um, I did not share with Mitchell. One is for Karen Pruitt, Sister Karen Pruitt. She's gone uh, in, from the hospital to therapy, and uh, she's regaining strength and so brother Tim asked us to continue to remember her in prayer brother Jewel Forney was put in hospital on Sunday I believe did you know that and it was a mix up with his medications and it uh, was causing some real problems uh, and they apparently got the medication issue straightened out Uh, he lost 40 pounds in 4 days and then got released uh, it was that was a good thing because he was retaining fluid and it was just a great uh, problem for Brother Jewel, but they just shared that with me uh, right before service. We want to continue to remember Sister Hannah Whitlock and Sister Hannah's uh, just been struggling with that lack of uh, blood pressure. Uh, blood pressure drops out. Uh, she had that little incident on Sunday and uh, had one after church and so. If you don't mind, uh, she's been to her specialist, and we want to just pray that the Lord will uh, uncover the roots of the problem so that uh, she can receive the healing that she needs. So we'd ask you to remember that need in prayer. Also as well, you don't know my sister, but she has had a couple of surgeries trying to repair an issue that she's had physically, and uh, it's, it's not been successful, and so she has to go for a third operation next week. And um, she's just really concerned about that, and naturally so. And I'd ask you just to remember her in prayer and um, knowing that God can not only touch her body, but touch her soul as well. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you because you care about all we go through. There's not a thing in the world we could hide from you, even if we wanted to. But Lord, we are a people, Lord, who know that you are able to be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. And whether these needs are small or minor, or whether, Lord, they're major and life-threatening, there's not a thing that is too impossible for you. We believe, Lord, tonight, and we trust you. We ask that you would just move on behalf of these special requests, dear Lord. We pray, Father, that you would just continue to undertake for Sister Karen and Sister Hannah. We pray, dear God, that you would just be gracious to my sister and ask that you would just be on the scene for her, Lord. She needs you in many ways, and we just place her into your care. Father, have your way in the service tonight. We just want to say it's just an honor to come into your presence and to sense your presence here among us tonight. Just a handful of people the world may never understand. But, Lord, to us it's a thrill to come into your presence. So have your way, we pray. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have your way. Have your way. Holy Spirit, feel our hearts and have your look in the Bible together tonight. We're going to go to Ezekiel, the the 18th chapter. Ezekiel chapter 18. Thank you, musicians. We appreciate your contribution tonight. And uh, may the Lord bless all of you again for being here. Good to have all of our errands back. And uh, McGarry's, good to have them back. Just arrived by the skin of their teeth. And uh, good to have them with us uh, today. There is, uh, you know, naturally... We are surrounded by uh, churches that are closing and states that are closing their borders. So if you want to have one more little thing to pray for, you just pray that they don't close the border between North Carolina and Virginia. All right? That would be a nice little thing for you to pray for. All right. Is the word really true? Yes or no? Ezekiel chapter 18. I'd like to read just a couple of verses there as we begin. And then we're going to come back to this chapter, so I want you to hold on, hold your Bible open here. Verse 25. Yet ye say the way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? When a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, and dieth in them for his iniquity that he hath, doth Sorry, for his iniquity that he hath done shall he die. Again, when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness that he hath committed, and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive, because he considereth and turneth away from all his transgressions that he hath committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. 
Yet saith the house of Israel, The way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. Now, hold something. Grab something that you can put in there in that little slot, and we're, or we're going to go back to it in a moment here. But First John chapter 4, I'd like to read that little passage as well. First John chapter 4. Pritchard's also uh, mentioned just before it came out. Uh, they were not able to be here uh, tonight. They're uh, extra busy. We just uh, finalized a little draft of an announcement that unfortunately indicates that we have canceled a men's meeting for this year. Uh, it's certainly not our desire, but it's very difficult for us to plan. And to, Is it posted? It is now. Uh, it's gonna, it'll be put up uh, on our different platforms there, but uh, being that we're already in the middle of uh, July, uh, our men's meeting was going to be around the middle of September. It would have been difficult for us to ask people to make reservations and travel arrangements and so forth to come uh, for September. Plus, the facility up in uh, Carson Springs has changed with the regulations that they have. They have changed their arrangements for sleeping and so on. So it would have increased the price pretty dramatically. So uh, for this year, we are uh, having to cancel a men's meeting. We are praying about the winter youth retreat. That is uh, a new challenge for us, and we are looking at the possibility of doing an e-retreat. And uh, so there's a number of different things that are on the table there. So uh, making these decisions is very difficult because you have to think about the future and uh, how, things, how things you assume are going to look. And it's very, very difficult to predict what it's going to be like tomorrow, let alone in two months. And so uh, for the men's meeting this year, we will not be having it. Lord willing, we'll, uh, we'll go on next year. First John chapter 4 and verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. May the Lord add his blessing. Now, uh, I wanted to, to approach this more like a, a little bit of a Bible study here. I've got to bounce back. Uh, here, Jeremy, just a little bit. Uh, we, we've talked a, a, a lot about the subject of discernment and, and making correct judgments and so forth. And uh, as, we, as we wind down in the scheme of things towards the very end, our judgments and our decisions become more critical uh, because there's less, less navigating room, navigation room uh, as you get down towards the end. Or if you, you want to picture it this way, at the top of the pyramid, you don't have a whole lot of land to turn around. So you want to make every decision correctly. You want to be sensitive uh, in terms of the leading of the Holy Spirit in, in making every uh, decision correct according to the Word of God. Now that's a common statement. We, we make those statements all the time. 
But I really appreciate it. If I could, if I could have recorded Steve's prayer, just a portion of it, I, w- I would like almost to pray it back because he made the comment there, uh, Lord, we believe or we choose to believe in the promises of God and have faith in every promise. And it was a couple of other phrases and statements that he made there in that prayer uh, that were really, uh, really pointed towards the, the thought that I have. And it is not so much that, uh, you know, we, we obviously do believe that God has made promises. But now we are called upon as the people of God to believe those promises right out through to the end. Our, our, our challenge now is to accept and believe those promises to the changing of our body because there's no turning back. We're coming to the place where it's either this or it's nothing. And we know, according to the scripture, it's either this or tribulation. And to me, that choice is obvious, but I want to be making the right choice in order to wind up at the right place. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to second guess this. Uh, I found a little statement where Brother Branham in Show Us the Father in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, and he was talking about the children of Israel going to the fire, the three Hebrew children. And he said they started a death march going up there, going to burn those loyal believers in God, one that trusts God's word. And they're going to be burnt up. They're on their way to be burnt up. And they walk up. You know what? I can hear Shadrach say to Meshach, are you sure you're all prayed up? And I can hear him say, yes, I got the victory. Let's go on. That's the way to do it. Marched right on just a little farther. Kept going and going. Your job now in this whole end time scenario, and when I say end time, I'm talking about from here to the very end, which seems less of a distance than what we used to feel years ago when we said the same thing. But now we are facing the end, and I believe that our job is to keep going despite all the other things that are deteriorating around us. All the other things that are changing around us, our job is to keep going. Like Einstein said, I want to know God's thoughts. The rest of it is just a filler. Right? The rest of it is just details. I want to know God's thoughts. Now, years ago, five or six years ago, I did a little, uh, we did a little study on the things that adoption should teach us. If we are tutored by the Holy Spirit, what are the kinds of things that he wanted us to know? And we dealt with these subjects, and this was not compl- a complete list, uh, but these were some of the things that we dealt with. And the second one was the bride will eventually learn the Father's way. His ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And so his way is always better than because it's higher. When you're on the high ground, you can see more, you can see further, you can see truer than when you're in the valley. And so the Father's ways are always best, and it's always, it's always logical for us uh, and, and sensible for us to follow the Lord's way and his leading and guiding in all things. Now, again, uh, we, we, this is, in a sense, it's going to sound simplistic as we, as we begin this, but I want you to just follow me as we work through the Scripture here and study a little bit. Now, remember, Brother Branham, in 1965, he says, Remember, sirs, what time is it? He was referring back uh, to the sermon he preached in New Year 1962 as he was coming into the opening of uh, the seven seals. He says, Then we've got the revelation in this last day for his message of the Lord God to gather his bride together. That's one of the first purposes and initial purposes of the message itself was to gather the bride of Jesus Christ together. And, and in doing that, it pulled us out of where we were and placed us on, on, in spiritual and heavenly places in Christ Jesus on this earth, in these bodies, uh, as, in a sense, a staging ground, a, a place that uh, it, it's not eternity, but it's a place that gets us to eternity. Is that all right? 
Lucas was called out the other night in the EMS, and uh, I, I, I happened to give him a quick phone call, and uh, I said, I said, are you, are you there at, on the site? And he said, no, we're staging, meaning that uh, when they go into a situation and there's a possible shooting or violence there, guns and so forth, uh, they will keep all the emergency people and even firemen and so forth, they'll keep them staged in an area close but not within the danger zone. So that when, it, when the situation is cleared and the, the law enforcement have it cleared, then the health people can come in, the EMS can come in and uh, do their work. But they stage them in a place uh, so they're not there, but they're not back at the station. They're, they're, they're near, but they're not quite there. Are we okay? You realize this whole message has staged us. Are we okay? The message has brought us out of where we were. We're not at the station, glory to God. You're not back in your Pentecostal station or wherever, out in the world. But we're not there yet. We're just staged, ready to go. And when we get the word from on high, we're gone. I don't know about you, but I have a little greater longing to get out of here now than I did even, I don't know, half a year ago. Right? I mean, you can see where all of this is going. You can see where all of the, what's, what's taking place here. And you know what? Like Luke 17 and Luke 21 tell us, nobody's got an answer for this. Men's hearts are failing for fear. And all the other things that are coming on the face of the earth. And what you're living in is those scriptures being fulfilled. You know what? There's really not much you can anticipate good in terms of where this world's going. And we're, hey, I'm glad I'm staged. I'm glad I'm, I'm ready. I'm glad I'm, uh, I'm in that place. And one day soon, as soon as the word comes, we're gone. No arguments here. No arguments here. I'm glad to go. Ready to go? Glad to go. And so Shadrach and Meshach are walking on this journey to the furnace, and they're saying, you prayed up? You ready to go? Yes, sir. He said, the victory is ours. Let's keep going. So like Brother Steve prayed tonight, the whole theme is that we're going to have to trust, but we're going to have to trust in a deeper way, a greater way probably than what we have up to now to get from where we are to that final step. On the other side. Second thing. Okay, so the first purpose, if you like, of the message. The first purpose of the message was to gather the bride. Okay, to gather his bride together. Secondly, questions and answers, 1964. Brother Branham says, makes this statement twice. The next thing left is the translation of the church. So you understand the two, two steps here, right? So he has brought us out. The message has called us out. And the next thing is to translate us or change our bodies. Are we Okay. Without complicating anything, we have to keep our goal in mind. The translation of the church, the return of Moses and Elijah to the millennium, that doesn't involve us. Sorry, the return of Moses and Elijah back to Israel, Revelation 11, that doesn't involve us, right? The millennium reign upon the earth with the bride and the groom for a thousand years, that does involve us, but Christ is, is, is in control of that one, so that's fine. The judgment bar, total annihilation of sin, and so on. The, all of those things will unfold. Let me tell you, you, you just need to get to the marriage supper. If you can get to the wedding supper, everything else will unfold and take care of itself. Right? You don't need to worry about where will I live in the millennium and what will I wear and all the rest of it. It will all be taken care of when you get over on the other side. Just get to the wedding supper. So potentially it's in here, 
What is it? The word promised before the foundation of the world. And this only reflects the negative that will reflect the positive, the word, and the same thing is the translation of the bride. It'll be the same thing. The word that's in you, the body will materialize around that word, and the same thing did by Sarah. Brother Abraham was talking about the change of uh, Sarah's and Abraham's bodies. And he's saying that they, they received the word, they believed the word, and that body just materialized around it, and eventually they had the child. He said, same thing with the translation of the bride. He said, it's a receiving of the promise, and that body just materializes around that. He said, one day we'll be gone, and we'll be taken over on the other side. Don't worry about how it's going to happen. Don't matter what, don't, don't worry about, uh, the, the, the actual mechanics of it. All you need to do is make sure you receive the word, and let, allow that word to take full control in your life. He'll get you there. The Christ in you knows where to go, even if you don't. Are we okay? So, Brother Branham tells us now, if those are the two primary uh, purposes of the message, to call out a bride and then to take that bride from here to glory, it's obvious that the, the world we leave behind is one that we knew we shouldn't rely on. The world we leave behind is one that really never knew its way. The world we live in has lost its way. Right? There's no government going to tell you the way. The enemy's coming in like a flood. He's raising a standard against it. The drama's set. The church is going home just as sure as anything. This is 1949. You haven't got a long ways to wait, friend. You better come now. Friends, it may seem strange. But the religion of Christ never was popular. It's always been unpopular, the ways of God. Because the devil is the prince of the power of the air. He has all the governments. Every government is controlled by the devil, according to the Bible. Devil said it was, he controls all the governments. And he's referring over to Matthew 4, when Jesus and Satan had that conversation on top of the mountain here. So he has all, all the governments, and all, every government is controlled by the devil. Now, under his watch, he hasn't done a very good job, because the world has fallen apart on his watch. The whole thing has fallen apart. So he couldn't keep it together, just like you'll never keep a nation together, or a people together, or a church together, or a family together, when you remove the Word of God systematically from it. And so it falls apart. That's an inevitable result of taking the word or taking Christ out of the picture is that the thing is going to fall apart. And you're living in a world, and this is what it looks like when a world falls apart, when a superpower loses the part super from the front of it. The prefix of superpower is super. And when you lose super, all you have left is power. Power without character is satanic, right? So that's kind of where we're at. And every government is controlled by the devil, according to the Bible. That doesn't mean that every government worker is devil-possessed. Are we okay? I got family. All right? But every government ultimately is controlled by Satan. In other words, they've, they've sinned away their day of grace and come under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, and he is the god of this evil age. And so, therefore, our faith and our strength, and all of the reason, only reason I put this up here is because our, we, we want to assure ourselves uh, continually where our faith actually rests. We, faith always has to have a resting place, Brother Branham says. And our faith is not in this. Our faith is not in governments that are controlled and manipulated by satanic power. Now, you gotta, you got to understand that you're living in a world where everything you do and everything you're a part of, essentially, is affected by this. So the economy, the educational system, 
right? Healthcare. Everything that we do, in a sense, is touched by, uh, tainted by this influence within a nation. Now, I will tell you something that even in our, even in our culture and even in our world today, living in America is still better than living in many other countries because they have far, far fewer benefits and more potential for corruption in many other nations than we do in ours. As bad as ours is. I mean, there might be a debate, a debate over where, whether I should wear a mask or not. Let me tell you, that's a whole lot different than when, uh, you know, when you have a, uh, you know, uh, corruption and communism and, uh, you know, all the other underhanded things that happen in other countries. I'm, I'm, I'm still grateful that we live here. I'll be glad when I'm gone, but for now, I'm glad that I'm here. So, <clears throat> Brother Branham tells us here, he says, therefore, and, and I, I'd like to, I'd like to, uh, say this, that if we take our time frame that we're dealing with tonight, it is from here to wherever our, ch- our bodies changed. It is from here till that point. We used to think about that as, as a farther distance than what we do now. Obviously, time has passed. Who knew? Who knew that from 1965 until now, we're still here? I mean, who knew we'd be around that long? Uh, I remember my father-in-law talking to Brother Neville after Brother Branham died. He went to Jeffersonville, like a lot of people did. They went to Jeffersonville and asked the right questions. What do we do now? And Brother Neville, uh, he basically, he told my father-in-law, he said, he said, we really don't know what people should be doing except get your hands on the tapes of the services and listen to them. And he says, and just trust God for the future. That's a paraphrase of what he told him. But really, there was no other instruction given. There was no indication that, oh, hey, listen, you know, this will be over in a year. That we'll be gone. We'll follow Brother Branham in a year or two or five years. There was none of that because there was really no sense at all of how long or how far this thing would stretch out. Who knew we'd be around till now? But we, we did. We're we're still around. We we last. We are here. This a whole other generation has risen up. Believing the message of the hour. So therefore, uh, it's important now, and especially I would say this with all respect, it's, it's important now, the farther we get away from Brother Branham himself with his teaching and Brother Branham's person himself, the farther we are away from that, the potential for drift is greater than what it ever has been. Because things erode. Over time, things erode. Standards erode. It's not necessarily somebody overtly changing the word. It's rather things, they just erode gradually like nature does a deal on a riverbank. I was, this week is boys week at our house. We have all of our grandsons. You see Peter and Rachel down there? They're going to be inside the sanctuary for the whole service because their kids are at my house. And we were at the river bank yesterday. We were at the creek, and they were just having a great time. And I was, I was wanting to give them, a, you know, all homeschool families. You know, every outing is a homeschool uh, field trip. And so uh, I got on the bank, and uh, when I climbed up on the bank, it all gave way, and all the dirt flowed into the, fell into the river. And I was t- gave them a quick lecture about erosion. And you know what? They didn't listen because they were on summer vacation. And even homeschool kids know what a summer vacation is. So... <clears throat> Erosion happens, and, and 
every every riverbank experiences this, and it doesn't happen it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over a period of time. Farther we are away from Brother Bram's message, Brother Bram's person, if you like, the potential for erosion exists. We still have the message. But the farther we are away from the years or the era where Brother Branham stood and taught, the potential for new thought exists. And new thought is okay as long as it doesn't disagree with the old thought. So we had to be very careful. We had to be very discerning. So this is what, I'm, what I wanted to refer to tonight was this idea of discerning and making the proper judgments. So Brother Branham teaches us in the Hebrew series, he said, there is something about where you go, what church you go to, and what teacher teaches you. This is, not a, this is not a criticism of another church here. And I don't want you to think I'm making a criticism of, of another church. He said, but it, it's got something to it. Every church has a certain way. Every church has a certain spirit about it. And therefore, we ought to seek out the very best that we can find. And so we're getting the best, not because it's sociable and so forth, but real Bible teaching. So every believer has a responsibility to find a place where there's real teaching going on that will get you and your family where you need to be in the right staging area until the final voice calls out to us and where our bodies are changed and we're brought over on the other side. Right? That's, that's the idea. And, and Brother Branham says that this, this matters because if a, if a minister has an agenda and he wants to build a kingdom or if he has, wants to build a harem, uh, or whatever else, he wants to build a fortune, uh, then the, the congregation naturally is going to be distracted from what they, uh, what they, where they need to be. They're not going to be hearing exactly what they need to hear. Now, Jesus said, none of, none of mine will be lost. you believe that? We have that assurance that none of, none of mine will be lost. But you know what? I would rather be in tune than caught up. I've I got to say this. I've got to explain this. I would rather be walking in tune with the Holy Spirit every day than to be out of sync with Him and have Him catch me up to where everybody is. Is that okay? Because if you're predestinated, you're going to be there. Your body's going to be changed. I'd rather, if I could, I'd rather be walking every day in harmony with Him and in tune with Him than to be going in another completely opposite direction or another side uh, side route over here and then have to find my way back. I've told you before about traveling in Ireland, and, uh, you know, we always, always do get a GPS in Ireland because even when you think you're on a, uh, you know, it, it looks real obvious where the direction is. And let me tell you, the, the, the pathways and the little farm roads and all the rest of it there is just just crazy. I mean... You, you know what it's like, country roads and things like that. And I remember several times, you know, you're following the GPS faithfully, turn here, turn here, and you turn and there's a cow looking at you in the face. You're just in front of a, f- a fence and there's a big dairy cow looking at you, making Irish butter and Irish cream, and he's just, what are you doing in this cow pasture? You know, that's the way they look at you. And you think you're going in the right direction, and you know what, you're... you're You've been misguided. I don't want to do that. That doesn't mean that we didn't make it to our destination. It's just that we had to do a couple of loops. We had to backtrack. We had to get back on the right road and be there. You know, we're ordained to be there by God's grace. We are predestinated to be there. How many believe that? And you've got to believe that, right? You've got to believe that about yourself and, and God, your experience with God. But I don't want to run into 
pastors. I don't want to run into uh, obstacles there that are unnecessary. If, if I can, I'd like to avoid those. That's all I'm saying. So where you get your teaching and what you're feeding on makes a difference. If you're, if you're sitting among people, and I'm not talking about our church here, but if you're sitting among people that feed on conspiracy theories, you really can get distracted and encumbered by things that are really useless. That's all I'm saying. Now, I told you to stick something in your Bible. Let's go back to Ezekiel chapter 18 for a moment. Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, starts out with a very unusual admonition here. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Why, God, the Lord is saying through Ezekiel here, why are you saying that? This is, their, this is their byword. This is their proverb that they, they were using back at that time. If, if you have a Schofield Bible under the chapter heading there, it says ethical instructions for Israel in captivity. And so Ezekiel wants them to understand that God knows not only the phrases they're using, but why they're using it. Then he says in verse 3, As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion any more to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So Ezekiel is encouraging the people to understand and know that... <clears throat> The children of Israel were sent into captivity because of the waywardness and the sinfulness of the previous generations. Right? They know that. And as a result of that, their conduct, in a sense, their conduct, they learned, was regulated by the righteous or unrighteousness, unrighteous conduct of their forefathers, which will then in turn regulate their conduct. Let me, let me explain that again. They felt like, and, and, and again, only God would know the, the, the real motive here in using this parable. They're saying, uh, the children of Israel were saying, the fathers are, are eating sour grapes. But the children, the children, they're feeling the effect of that. Their, their teeth are set on edge. So therefore, everything that happens to this generation is a result of what happened back here. That, that's, that's kind of what they're implying. So in other words, if my forefathers live righteously, then I'm going to have a blessing passed on to me, and I can kind of live whatever way I want to, and I'm going to be blessed anyway because of the way my forefathers lived. Or they could say, you know what? If my forefathers lived unrighteously, then I can live unrighteously too because 
I am what I am, and that's what my father was. And I got, you know, I really, I got no power to change anything anyway. So I might as well live, uh, you know, smoke and drink and, and do drugs and everything else. I might as well because nothing's really going to change. And, and so, therefore, uh, my conduct is going to be regulated by what my forefathers did. My conduct today is going to be regulated by what my forefathers did. Now, God looks at this, and he looks at their heart, and watch now. Watch what he says. Read down with me in the chapter here. God actually says to them, from this point on, I'm not going to give you occasion, or uh, uh, I'm not going to allow you to think this way ever again. Verse 5. If a man be just, and do that which is lawful and right, and hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither has defiled his neighbor's wife, and so on. He has, he has done all of these things. If, if, if this man be just, and he lists all these things, 7, 8, 9, and hath walked, verse 9, has walked in my statutes, and has kept my judgments to deal truly, he is just, and he shall truly live, saith the Lord. So if a man does righteously, then he will be blessed. God says this is based on that man's conduct, not what his father did or his grandfather did. So we're not going in on someone's coattails. In other words, this is the place where that phrase, God has no grandchildren, came into being. You're not going to make it in on somebody else's coattails. Neither are you going to be excluded because of someone else's conduct. You're going to be judged by your own conduct. So if a man does righteously, five, if a man does just... Verse 9, he shall surely live, saith the Lord. Watch. Verse 10, but if he beget a son that is a robber, a shedder of blood, and doeth the like to any one of these things, and does not any one of these duties, but hath eaten upon the mountains and defiled his neighbor's wife and so forth, all of these things, verse 13, and is given forth upon usury and hath taken uh, increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. He hath done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. His blood shall be upon him. So if a righteous man does things right, he'll be blessed. But if he has a son who's a renegade and he does evil living in his father's house, you know what? He's going to suffer the consequences for his own choices and his actions. So God has actually taken away this, uh, this thing they leaned on, saying, I can live any way I want to because God's not going to, in a sense, God can't hold me responsible because uh, everything depended on what my forefathers did. So they wanted to live whatever way they wanted to and throw the consequences back to their previous generation. God is telling him, no, if a man lives just, God will bless him. If his son turns out a renegade, he's going he's to judge him. Verse 14, third scenario. And lo, if he beget a son that seeth all his father's sins, which he hath done, and cons- we're in the third generation now, right? You have a righteous man, then you have a renegade son, now you have another son. And that son seeth his father's sins, which he has done, and considered, and doeth not such like, that hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither lifted up his eyes to the idols, and defiled his neighbor's wife, and so forth. Verse 17, that hath taken his hand from the poor, not received usury nor increase, has executed my judgments, hath walked in my statutes. He shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. Aren't you glad that God does not hold us accountable for our father's sins? All right, let's keep going. As for his father, verse 18, because he cruelly oppressed, spoiled his brother by violence, and did that which is not good among his people, lo, even he shall die in his iniquity. Yet say ye, why? 
Doth not the Son bear the iniquity of the Father? When the Son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes and has done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. All the way down towards the end of the chapter here, verse 21, If the wicked will turn from all of his sins that he hath committed and kept all the statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. So God's making sure that the Israel understands he's not any further. He's not after this captivity and they come back into the land again. Because Ezekiel is telling them this in the captivity. He's telling them that God is going to judge each man individually. Verse 23, Have I any pleasure? At all, that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live. But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness, and committeth iniquity, and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespasses that he hath trespassed, and any sin that he hath sinned, in them he shall die. You're going to reap what you sow. It's exactly what he's telling them. And this is on an individual basis here. You think, well, my goodness, this is Old Testament. Let's read on just a little bit further, if you will. Sorry to have you, I'm not sorry to have you read your Bible, but we just want to make sure we get all the points in here. Verse 30, therefore I will judge you. No, I'm sorry, verse 29. Yet saith the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal, O house of Israel. Are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? Watch, just put your finger there. The word equal in the Hebrew there, it means regulated or measured. It means that, you know, God is, they're saying to God, your ways are not equal. You're not treating everybody fairly. And God is saying, no, my ways are equal. Your ways are unequal. 1 Samuel chapter 2, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk, talk no more so exceeding proudly, and let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. So Samuel wants the, wants the people to recognize that, hey, whenever you say something, whenever laws are made, whenever, uh, whenever there's something done, God is weighing that action. He's looking at that to see whether that measures, listen, with the Word, with His commandments. And that's why he's saying to the children of Israel back in Ezekiel there that if, if, a, uh, if a man sins, then God will, God will measure him against the Word of God. If a man lives righteously, God will measure that against the Word of God. And so we're not going to measure you by someone else. We're not going to measure this church by some other, by Johnson City over here. We're not going to do that. We're going to deal with you. And God is bringing this down to an individual uh, scenario here. Let's go a little bit further here and look at a couple of examples. I love these examples of this phrase. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. You can go to your brother or sister and say, you know, you've been greatly, greatly offended or criticized or something else. Even if the criticism is correct and say, I forgive you. You ever had your kids say, to, say you're sorry? I'm sorry. Did you mean it? Yeah, I did. Why do we all know you didn't? I've been raising kids now for three days. I know all about child raising. The Lord knoweth. 
not just the words. We hear the words. We see the facial expression, but the Lord knows the heart. Proverbs 21, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Doesn't everybody argue from a point of correctness in their own eyes? Right? I mean, we all debate. We all make a stand based on what we think is right. And even if you win the argument, you'll find at times that you're not right at the end. It doesn't automatically mean you're right, even though you might win the argument. You might work everybody under the table, but it doesn't, it doesn't make you right. Remember now, and, and the, the, my point is this here, is that when it comes down to it, and it comes down to the end of the road, it is not so much how we look or what we say out of our mouth. God is looking deeper than that, and God wants you to look deeper than that, Because God is weighing more than just the sound of your words or the rightness of your preaching and, uh, you know, the integrity, uh, you know, or the, the integrity of your dress or your conduct. God is looking for more than that. He wants to see it come from a heart that's truly converted and believes in His Word. Because God is looking for obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. If you have your finger still in your Ezekiel, let's finish there and and read the rest of the last portion of the chapter. 31. Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? Do you understand, in this this whole admonition that he gives them, if you're going to be held accountable, then God in his mercy has got to find a way for you to live a righteous life So he can judge you in obedience to his word. But God knows the heart of man. And since the fall, guess what? It's not been easy to live righteously without the Holy Ghost. Because every one of us are born in sin. Are you following me? So God says, hey, listen, if we're going to judge you on the basis of righteousness, what you've got to do is get rid of that heart and that spirit that's within you and get a new one that's there. And you're not going to come up with that. I'm going to provide that. And the Holy Spirit will come in and cause you to walk in His statutes and cause you to live in His Word and cause you to live according to His commandments, right? God knowing exactly what's going to take place. Now, go to, let's go to Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 12. Romans 8, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die, because out of living out of the flesh comes murder, envying, strife, lies, Right? All the things that God would have judged the people for back in Ezekiel back here. Robbings, defiling your neighbor's wife, all the other things that go on. We're not debtors, though, to the flesh. For if we live through the Spirit, we do mortify the deeds of the body. Ye shall live. Glory to God. So he gives us the remedy. So that we can live righteously and say, it's not I, but Christ that lives in me. And that's the only way you're going to mortify the flesh. That's the only way you're going to be deemed righteous is when he makes us accepted in the beloved. Are we okay? So there's no grandchildren with God. God is saying back in the book of Ezekiel here, which is the foundation for these teachings that we have over here in the New Testament, is that uh, every man is going to be judged according to his own deeds in the flesh. And God knows that within that flesh there is a fallen nature 
The only way to correct that scenario is to put the Spirit of God in, inside that vessel. And the only way that that's going to happen is that the Lord takes the iniquity of us all and lays it on one, and He pays the penalty for sin. His Spirit comes back on us, and now we are able to live in holiness. We're able to live righteously. Right? Look, folks, it's not just good enough to know what's right and wrong. We are required to live what's right and wrong. Couldn't you agree that Eve knew what was right and what was not right? Didn't God tell them, of all the trees you can eat, but of this tree you can't? She knew what was right from wrong, but she disconnected the outcome from the judgment that God had given. She disconnected the outcome of her disobedience from what God had told them. Can we also agree that in the time of Joshua, Achan knew what was right and what was wrong? Can we also agree that Ananias and Sapphira knew what was right? That's why Peter says, hey, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? I mean, who's in control of this church anyway? It certainly isn't me. It's the Holy Spirit is in control. We've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And here they are lying to the Holy Spirit. It's more than just knowing the Word. It's more than just being in a church where the Word is preached. It is actually a quickening power that puts that Word into action in our lives and causes us to change in the way God wants us to change in the transformation that brings us to where we leave the staging point and step into that body over on the other side. Remember, at the, at, in this whole journey, God's preparing us to step into a particular kind of a body. And you've got to be shaped and molded in order to fit into that body over on the other side, right? God knows what that looks like. God knows what that needs over there. God knows what, uh, what you have to look like in order to step into that body over there. And so this whole process of transformation that we go through here and the transformation and obedience go together. I said transformation and obedience go together. That prepares us to step into that body over there. So there's things that God will require of us because he knows where we're going that we may not always understand. But obedience is better than sacrifice. <clears throat> All right, so how do, we get, how do we get from here to there? That's the big question, I guess. In Luke chapter 11, then answered one of the lawyers. Now, with all due respect to those who are part of the legal profession here among us, I'd like to define what a lawyer is in the gospel. It is someone who devotes their life pertaining to the law. One learned it in the law. This is the law of Moses in the New Testament, an interpreter and teacher of the Mosaic Law. So they didn't learn that in law school. We all right? Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, in other words, this is a person who would have been critical within the law of Moses. He would have been one who studied it. And very often these were the fellows who questioned Jesus about the law. And they said unto him, Master, thus saying, Thou reproachest us also, in the previous parable. And he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens grievous to be borne, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, for ye build sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers kill them. Truly ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed kill them, and ye build their sepulchres. 
I mean, this is, this is quite a rebuke. This is quite a serious statement that he's making to them. And, and in public, I mean, in, you know, with, with people around, I would imagine. And therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and, and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. Wow. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, which perished between the altar and the temple, Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. You entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in, ye hindered. You just wouldn't want to be where they are, right? You wouldn't want to be standing where they stand in the eyes of God. I mean, here's Jesus looking at them and condemning them in this way and talking about how that through their example, through their teaching, through their persuasion. They talked about the kingdom, but not in a way that allowed people or encouraged or inspired people to enter in. They actually took away the key of knowledge. Well, let's just look for a moment at what that key of knowledge is. It is the knowledge of the deeper and more perfect and large knowledge of this religion or faith such as belongs to more advanced, especially things lawful and unlawful for Christians, moral wisdom, seen as, such as seen in righteous living. So in other words, let's just say it this way. Every one of us, you know, we come into the message and we learn some of the basic steps and the basic rules, the basic boundaries where God wants us to live. But you know what? In all of our hearts, because we know what the end of the story is, none of us want to stay there. We don't want to stay in grade one or grade two, right? Let's, let's progress. Let's go on. And, and you realize, you know, you get closer and closer, and this brings you closer to the kingdom. You're, you're saying in your heart, I, I want to be there. I, I'm, whatever it takes, whatever I need to learn, whatever I need to know, give me, give me the greater understanding. Give me the deeper understanding. Lord, give me a greater sense of sincerity in my heart. Let let that carnality be taken away from me. Let, let the, the silliness be taken out of me and all the other foolish ambitions that I might have. I mean, here we are at, at the end of, we're at the end of the world. We had, we're at the end of a world that's falling apart. There's, there's, you're, it's like you're standing on, on, the, um, on the end of a diving board and there's just maybe an inch or two of water left in the pool. Uh, I don't want to jump in that. I'd rather go the other way. All right? There's nothing inspiring me to jump into this world and, you know, try to, try to straighten it out. Try to make a fortune, build a business. My goodness. In, in, in a matter of a few months, look how many people's lives have been altered and changed in our world. What real or not, I mean, look at, look at how things have changed in our world. How the economy has been changed in our world. And how all kinds of people, because of social media and all the other avenues that are out there, everybody's run off in their own direction with their own interpretation of things. It's... Nuts. To me, now that we kind of stand back and look at it a little bit more analytically, I guess, it really was to be expected. Because without an absolute, without the Holy Ghost, you're going to run in all kinds of directions because you have no anchor. Lord, I say this, Lord, give me the deeper understanding. Lord, put the key of knowledge in my hand. 
Lord, I want to have, I want to have whatever it is that unlocks the greater virtue that belongs to the bride of Christ. Give me, Lord, whatever it is that I need to dress with to stand as the bride of Jesus Christ in the very end of this whole thing. This is the definition out of the, out of the diglot here. The things that belong to the more advanced, especially of things unlawful. Do you realize that in terms of advancement, I've got all the writings of Spurgeon. I have all the writings of John Wesley just about uh, here and, uh, you know, other, other people back in other ages and have uh, collected lots of writings of different church age messengers and uh, went to uh, Iona where um, Columba was and all of that and collected their writings and things and all the exploits that they did. Let me tell you something. It, it's, it's absolutely amazing. It's amazing how they stood and taught and did what they did with the little bit amount of revelation that they had. They didn't even have water baptism correct because they were under the light of a Trinitarian idea back then and, uh, you know, the different, different theories and different ideas that they had because they had not come into a full light. They were reformers. Don't, don't get me wrong. They'll all be there, right? They'll all be there on the other side. But in comparison, all I'm saying is that in comparison to the, the, the advanced school that we've been placed into or the advanced, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the amount of information, the amount of revelation that God's given to us in this day. I mean, uh, it's just incredible how great it is in comparison to what the other ages had. Now, you've got to say this. With the little bit that they had, it's amazing that the, how strongly they stood. It's amazing how they laid their lives down to give their, uh, shed their blood as martyrs for the faith with only the little bit that they had. I mean, that's incredible. And when you get there, you shouldn't go, when you get inside the gates on the other side, you shouldn't say, where are the people with all the revelation? You ought to go over to those people and say, how did you do it with the revelation that you had, with the, with the message that you had back in that day? My goodness, God bless you. Because they might look at us and say, how could you miss it with all the revelation you had? Right? I mean, it's just another way of looking at it. But you know what? We've been to college. We've been to college with this. More advanced, especially of things lawful and unlawful for Christians. Has anybody got any questions about what's lawful and unlawful for Christians? We've pretty much got everything identified, don't we? I mean, a lot of questions have been answered. We've got, we got real thick books called Conduct, Order, and Doctrine. They help us to understand, should I wear this? Should I go here? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I believe this? Should I believe something else? And here's a prophet standing there. Every bit of it's recorded for us. No, you're thinking wrong about this scripture, and this scripture ties to this one, and here's what the Bible says about this. Should I cut my hair? Should I wear pajamas? Should I, you know, all these other questions here. And he's just given answers to us all the way through. We've got answers for just about every question that people can ask. Hello? I think, I mean, I think it's, I think it's tremendous that God has given us such a great, broad, big revelation. Not only natural things like that, but the opening of the seals and all the mysteries and all, all the, all the doctrines and teachings about revelation and predestination and the rapture and all the rest of it. God's given us the mother load, if you like. Took the lid off the whole thing, ripped the seals off, and, and gave us the whole opening of the Word in the last day. And like Brother Branham said himself, the book becomes a new book. There's such great things that are revealed in the last day. I say, Lord, give us that key of knowledge. Because I don't want to just know what it says. I don't, just don't want to memorize it. I want to live it. 
And I want to let other people see it living in me. But, you know, we have all these other things that are going on at the same time. Like, it comes to making decisions. comes to making choices. In the Conduct, Order, and Doctrine book in 1959, Brother Bram's talking about uh, Micah, the prophet Micah. And he says, and after a while, an evil spirit, a lying spirit, came up from underneath and said, if you'll just permit me, I'm a lying spirit. I'll go down and all them preachers, because they haven't got the Holy Ghost. They're just school-trained boys. And I'll go down and get in every one of them and deceive them and make them prophesy a lie. It was a lying spirit working to the will of God. You better have something real when you've got all this stuff going on in the background. You don't even see this stuff, right? We don't even see this stuff. This is all happening in the background. These are lying spirits that are coming up before God. And God says, yes, you go down and do this and so forth. And, and we've got hundreds of preachers here, but they're all... They're all college-taught boys, and so therefore they can be deceived. Hello? This lying spirit goes down there to deceive because he can. He doesn't go down among the real ministers to the elect because they can't be deceived. But he goes to the people he can deceive, and he knows he has an avenue because the whole intent is to try to deceive the one that uh, the, the one that is standing true to the word. That's his whole goal. And if that was the whole goal back then, that's Satan's goal today is to try to deceive the people who actually do believe. He doesn't give up. He doesn't roll over and just say, oh, here they are talking about predestination. I might as well go on to another church. He doesn't do that. He's always trying to hinder you or cause your relationship with God to be dysfunctional. He cannot take away your inheritance. He cannot take away your eternality. He can't do that. But he can make your relationship with God dysfunctional, right, like we talked about on Sunday. And that's what he tries to do. Temptations are the avenue that he'll do it. And, you know, what we realize is that there there are these spirits that are moving in realms we cannot see physically with the eye, but they're there because every one of us will admit we battle with certain things. We battle with certain kinds of temptations, right? Well, you know what? That's a result of something happening in the background that we may not know, but God will allow so that the right kind of character is formed in us. And we come back and we continually try things with the Word. We're talking about advanced things here now because this is what Brother Branham's encouraging us to do. And he says, and watch this, and how these evil spirits, how did they move? And Paul is speaking, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornications that is not named, one should not be named once among you as become saints, and so forth. And he said, what do you think about that amongst the church? Years ago, we might have thought, oh, wow, I mean, not among us. But that's what the scripture says would be a problem. And we find it in Ephesians, 1 Corinthians 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 3. And Paul cautions the church. Let me tell you something. Paul would not be cautioning the church to keep their guard up about this if this could not happen. Just like he says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Paul would not have that in the Bible. He would not have written that to the saints if you could not grieve the Holy Spirit. How many know you can grieve the Holy Spirit? This would not be in there either if you could not actually do this. And we find, and as ministers you find, pastors you find, the farther you get away from the real source of the message, the more erosion you find. 
Not that anybody's changing the words of the seals book, but the moral standards very often become softened. You know why? Because we have a world out there that seeks to change your standard to make you dysfunctional with God and bring shame into your life. Right? Now, let me just let me just find a stopping place here, if you don't mind. <clears throat> In the Old Testament, they just had about two ways to test the Word of God. If a prophet prophesied or a dreamer dreamed a dream, they took down the Urim, they took to the Urim and Thummim. Light and perfection is the meaning of the word Urim. Light and Thummim means perfection. That was a breastplate, and he told us, uh, and, and as he told his dream, prophesied, a dream or a prophecy, it didn't register on the Urim and Thummim, then the con- conglomeration of lights, all supernatural, then they didn't receive it. But if it did, they received it. So the Urim and Thummim was simply, and, and it was used uh, for a long time. It was used right out into the days of Nehemiah. Nehemiah actually refers to the Urim and Thummim. And so if somebody had a dream or a prophecy and they gave that, and it was not a supernatural reflection off the stones of the Urim and Thummim, then, uh, you know, the people disregarded that. They didn't count that as valid at all. Not from God, in other words. This didn't come from God. But if it flashed, if there was a response supernaturally, then uh, they, they felt this was of God. This was the commandment that was given. Can you imagine how many people would come to this church if we had a Urim and Thummim hanging up here? And we nailed one up here by the wall. And people came in and said, you know, some sister stands here and says, I feel like i got a ministry I want to preach. Or whatever. Can you imagine how many people would come here and seek the advice or the vindication? Because everybody wants vindication, right? Give somebody a little vindication and off they go. Get a little vindication and how many people we'd have here if, if we had that. In the Old Testament, that's what they had. Huh. Wouldn't it be great to have something like that? Watch what he says in the next paragraph. Now, the New Testament still has a Urim thumb. That's the Bible. So, okay. Where are all the people, I wonder? <laughs> Good question. So if we put the Bible up here and some sister comes in and says, Well, I'd like to preach. I feel like I have a calling to the ministry. Guess what? This wouldn't flash. That's your answer. If it isn't according to the word, let it alone. No matter how good it sounds, how much it would build your church up, if you'd let the ladies bob their hair, let them wear shorts and things, make them feel better, more on the plate. But that's not God's way of doing it. You must come back to the Word and stay with the Word. No matter if it pulls the hide off, say it anyhow, don't use the gospel for a meal ticket. My goodness. I, to me, I just think that that's great advice. That may seem simple. It may seem simplistic in the way he says it. But you know what? I still think it's very, very good advice. I think it's very sound advice for every one of us. Now, um, let me leave you with, with this one quote here, and then we'll, then we'll leave.
God providing healing in 1954, and I just like the way Brother Branham says this. He says, be reverent. He's moving now from preaching into the healing line. Okay, that's what he's, that's what he's actually doing. And so he's, in a sense, he's conditioning the people to receive what comes next, how to receive from God. If, if what I've said is true and God vindicates this and he shows up and he does things here, every one of you who have needs now are in a position where you can receive something from God. And here's how to do it. And I, I, I really like this. Be reverent, be expecting to see the Lord Jesus move into the building, move out over his people and bless them and do things he said he would do. As he's, like Steve prayed, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God was, God is. If he did, he does. Right? If he could, he can. And here's Brother Bram telling him, and, and now asking God to prove that, that whatever God could do, he can do tonight. And he says he'll come in and move in throughout the building. The only thing you have to do is have faith and believe. All right? How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Right? And in order for your faith to be right, your hearing's got to be right. And I want you to be deep in prayer. It won't be us, and, and you'll know it, it won't be us doing it. He said it would be him doing it in us. Don't misunderstand. Don't try to attach something to me that shouldn't be attached. I'm just a gift to the body. If you, if you read this whole section here, he's just making sure that people don't elevate him to a place that he's not supposed to be in. He says, you, you know that I don't know you. This has to be him telling me as a gift that God puts in here for your healing and so forth. But he said, don't misunderstand. And if the king of the prophets was here tonight, the Lord Jesus, in a physical form, so you could look at him, there'd be nothing could be done. Nothing more could be done <clears throat> than the way God's going to do it tonight. So if you think it would be better that Jesus stood here on the platform and you could come up and touch him, uh, he's, Brother Bram saying no, because the price of your healing has already been paid at Calvary. So it's not going to be a greater healing or something greater. He's already paid the price completely. Your healing has been secured by the stripes that he bore in Calvary. Only he would just have to tell them something. As far as healing, they could not heal them because he's already done it. His sacrifice was complete. It was finished there, 2,000 years ago. But these gifts are to bring you to what was finished at Calvary. Gifts of preaching, teaching, all kinds of prophetic gifts are to bring you to a realization of what happened at Calvary. It's not just a knowledge of what happened at Calvary. Yes, we know Jesus died 2,000 years ago. All the kids can tell us that. But the realization is that this is now real for me. That something real has taken place in my life, right? Would you agree? That this is not just head knowledge here, but this is real for me. And I know my healing's possible. I know that, that God actually, God actually exists. He's real and He's present among us tonight. And what Brother Bram is trying to get, bring the people into is a realization. He uses that word realization here. Not a partial realization, but a full realization that everything that God was, He still is. And whatever God could do, He still can. And whatever He would do, He will do tonight. And that realization needs to strike you, he says, to bring you to the knowledge of what has been done. Remember that key of knowledge. And the sacrifice has done been provided. We're just to get you to look that way and believe. Let me tell you, here's Brother Man trying to bring the people to that level where they can believe that God is a healer for them tonight. Let me tell you, we've got to go a step further than that. That's what I'm telling you. We've got to go a step further than that because it's not just the healing of our body. It's the changing of our body. 
And for that, we need to have a realization that is greater than just the knowledge that God sent a prophet. Let's stand our feet. Is the Bible really true? I mean, is it, is it, does it really mean what it says? Is it, is it going to happen? Is it worth trusting? Are you willing to be like the children of Israel? They're on the way to the, on the, way to the furnace, you know, and they're, they're, are you prayed up? Well, it's a little late now to be asking the question. Thankfully, I am. And off they go. And, and I, I think in every minister's heart there's an urgency that's just it's, it's like it's automatic. It's just, hey, we, we're, we're moving into a cycle of things. We're moving into a season where this becomes more serious now. This is not just, you know, going to church, and I think I'll go here and there, go there and bounce around and all this. Hey, we're, we're moving into a place now where this thing could wind up. And before this thing really blows sky high, uh, God might just say, all right, we'll just take that Gentile bride out. Because all of this, all of this really is referred to as like the squeeze to, 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 make, thing, to make the way narrower and narrower and narrower. All the way, and you can see, you can see now easily that if this goes on like it does, and it just gets worse, all the not only the virus but the economic issues and all that, we could move right into tribulation. A lot of people wouldn't even realize the change, because didn't Brother Branham say they'll wake up in tribulation and say, "Wasn't God supposed to do something first? You can see how the world can move very quickly down a path without really realizing where it's taken them, without the power to turn around. If people could turn around today, they would. My goodness, if nations could turn this thing around, they would. But they can't. People don't have answers, right? So we're all moving down this funnel at a very fast pace. But the bride is saying, we know what's going on. Now, Lord, put the key of knowledge in my hand that I can use it to unlock things that I need to be even more ready, to go deeper and be more ready for that last step that we're going to take. A key of knowledge, to me, becomes important. Key of knowledge becomes essential. And that's what, we're, that's what we're interested in. I have a father, I have a maker, and he knows my name. Let's sing that tonight. I have... <coughs> A maker. Oh, that's not it. That's not it. One more. Go up a little bit. I have a maker. He formed my heart before even time began. My life was.
Is that where you are? Came. Yes, he does. And he knows my every fault. And he sees each tear that falls. And he hears me when I call. Sing that chorus again now. opportunity to be in your presence tonight. And Lord, just to look at some of these passages in the scripture, Lord, that even written thousands of years ago, Lord, by the mouth of Ezekiel, and yet they apply to us today. Father, I pray that we as your people, Lord, we would look a little higher, that Lord, our level of sincerity might increase. Father, that everything within us would strive for that key of knowledge, Lord, that unlocks greater things for us. Lord, as your prophet said, people suggested to him that he could write another chapter, another book. But Lord, we know that the key unlocks things that are already there. 
Father, that's our desire, Lord. Not only to have the knowledge, but, Lord, to make that knowledge work. To make it become, turn into a life. Something, Lord, that, that changes us, transforms us into what you have predestinated us to be. We thank you for that liberty to become the true sons of God. And, Father, I just pray now that you would just enrich every heart, every soul. Bless every family that's represented here, Lord. We can't help but think about those that are sick and those that need your touch, Lord. Those, Lord, that are looking to you. We think of Sister Hannah tonight, Lord, and Brother Jewel and Sister Karen Prue and Brother Ron Spencer. And, Lord, the saints here among us in our own family, and we just invite your presence, Lord, to bless them in a very real way minister to each and every one that's here tonight in your presence. And Lord, we'll give you the thanks and the praise in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. And amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for coming. We appreciate all of you being here. And may the Lord richly bless you. Brother Aaron for making the trip tonight and coming all the way. And may the Lord bless you. Brother Mike. Uh, God bless you. Good to have you with us. And each and every one of you, may the Lord richly bless you. Good to have Stephen Sarah with us. We certainly miss them not being here on Sundays, but they're doing a great work, and we appreciate them being here uh, tonight. May the Lord bless you now as you go. In Jesus' name we press on. Let's sing that tonight. In Jesus' name we press on. Bye.